Let's talk about uh, some growth barriers. Early on in a small church setting, in a church plant, it, it is just you as the leader. Uh, now, if you've been blessed to have a launch team that have been built together from contexts that share your values, then, you, you know, you're a million miles ahead. That's, that's fantastic. Um, but just know that uh, the whole groupology thing... Um, the small group as you start, people will come to it with certain expectations and you need to be aware of that dynamic. Let, let me give you an illustration. We're, early on we had five people in our youth group. Um, and uh, a, guy, a young guy called Will Orpwood ran it, he was brilliant, but we had five people. Now he was a bit depressed because we only had five people. Why was he depressed? Because his expectation of a youth group was you had 30 kids, 40 kids, 50 kids. Um, we talked it through and kind of analysed that if you thought about it as a one-to-one discipleship group that had grown to five, wouldn't you be excited? Anyway, yeah, that'd be fantastic. If it... So that's how we thought about it. It wasn't a youth group. It was a discipleship group that had grown to five. <laughs> now, now, suddenly there's a positive vibe. There's a... Now, I, I think that's just, just, just understanding expectations and shapes of groups and how they operate. Um, in the context of your small group, when you run a launch team meeting, People will come with dis- different expectations than when you run a public service. If you run a public service, people will come expecting to have certain ministries on offer. And if you can't provide them, they'll not stay. But if they, if they come with their expectations aligned with who you actually are and what you're doing, you've got more chance of a connection and a fit. Um, that's one of the reasons we encourage people not to go public until they've got a large enough core group that can offer the mix of ministries. It's just groupologies, just thinking about how people work. And again, you kind of go, but idealistically, why don't they just love the word and community here? Because the reality is they won't. <laughs> just, um, and if you pay no account to that, you, you're missing out on growth opportunities. Um, all right? Uh, in small group settings, the, the nature of a small group, uh, it's Lyle Shaler who talks about the Collie Syndrome. You heard of the Collie Syndrome? It's small groups are groups that um, are very warm to insiders but bark at outsiders. It's the Collie Syndrome. So, the, you know, when you're, um, uh, when you're 20, 30, 40, 50, uh, you, you, you're warm to each other, you know each other, but anyone who comes in new, without any particular malice, People kind of go, ooh, you know, you, you're stepping on my toes in my warm fellowship here. Uh, it's typically the case. And so in a small group setting, again, this is groupology stuff, to understand the way small groups work, um, the power of key personalities is very much greater. The power in a small church isn't the institution, it's the personality, it's the key, it's the key people. Um, as, as a church grows, the nature of institutional power becomes more significant. And so a person who's appointed a leader in a bigger church has much more gravitas than a person who's just a dynamic personality, would you see. Being aware of that, um, the, uh, the appointed eldership, the church council of a large church, will, by virtue of its appointment, operate differently. Okay? When you've got a smaller church, um, you, um, uh, you may appoint leaders of small groups, but they won't always be the leader. It'll be the key guy within the group who's the leader. Yeah, just knowing that stuff. Um, uh, and the other thing with small churches, they, they tend to only move forward if everyone agrees. In a large church like ours, we never try to get everyone to agree because it won't make or break what we do. But when you've got 40, 50... 60, 70, 80, if you don't have consensus, you won't be able to change and grow. It's very hard. Um, largely because small groups, because they operate so much on relationship dynamic, any decision that the group might make that would cause three or four people to be left out or offended or will stop the rest from doing it because they'll feel the relationships far more powerful. You see? Uh, whereas in our context... Um, if the leadership brings a decision and persuades of some logic, everyone just goes along. Or leaves. 
But if we leave, lose 10 people, we don't feel it like you do when you've got 50 people. Do you see? Just different dynamics. Um, uh, so in a larger church, people don't expect to be consulted in decision-making. It's been many years since people expected to be consulted. But in a small church, if you're not consulting... See how you can't... Your groupology means you can't operate like we operate in your setting. Um, I was talking to Al a little bit earlier. See, the other interesting thing is... Um, um, you, you, the, the pulpit is not... The, the preaching and pulpit ministry, the Sunday pulpit ministry, is not the driver. Um, small churches can survive with bad preaching because the thing they're there for isn't the pulpit experience. Um, you see? But in our context, if the platform's not good, we lose people. Because they're there, you know, They've given up on the relational power of the community for the sake of, I don't want to use the word performance, but for the sake of that dynamic. Um, you see, just recognising the differences between these groups. Um, in smaller churches, you'll attract high-touch people. If you've got a church of 50 and it's been running at 50 for quite some time, you'll tend to get lots of needy people and power grabbers. It's interesting, as we move through the growth barriers... Um, I had lots of fights from people who in the end I realised were power people. The, the, the reason they were resisting our growth was because they were losing power. Small churches attract people. And, and we had people lose, leave us to go to smaller churches because they could be the bigger fish in the smaller pond. So just being aware of that dynamic that operates in your context. So for a small church to grow, because it's so much relationally connected... It will, it will deliberately have to give up its relationality. Now, some of us go, idealism, give up relationality, I can't bear to do that. That's not gospel, that's not... Eh. Um, I, did a, um, I, did a, I did a thing with some guys in um, England that the... Uh, one of the things I, one of the total church, if you heard of total church, the book, one of the things with total church is that they make the small group the total church. Highly relational, community is massive, massively important. And they look to the scriptures and justify or, you know, exegete the importance of community, it's, it's fellowship, it's relationship. Now, interestingly, what they've done is they've taken that principle of relationship, fellowship, that's what Ecclesia means and defined relationship fellowship as 10 hours together a week. For it to be real community, it can't just be two hours on a Wednesday night. It has to be two hours on a Wednesday night, a prayer meeting, watch a movie on a Friday, go out bike riding Saturday, church on... That's real community, you see. Now, the thing... We had quite some time together that... Um, Committed to fellowship, but what does fellowship have to look like for it to be genuine fellowship? Does it have to be a certain number of hours? You see, helping people think through some of those issues will facilitate the ability for them to let go of some aspects of what it means to be in fellowship together for the sake of reaching more people. Um, now, um, that therefore means to grow a small church, you've got to go through significant change management. Which means someone's got to invest significant amount of time and resource and create energy and drive to win everybody to change. Now, in a big church, the way we do that is very different from the way we did it 15 years ago. The way you do it in a relational, highly relationship environment is through one-to-one relational discussions and finding the gatekeepers, the opinion makers, the doing a lot of discipleship there. Um, now, if I can suggest here's the thing, you kind of go, okay, I hear that, That's, but I've just mentioned the tacking points. When you go and do the one-to-one conversation, there's lots of micro-decisions you'll make in the lounge room about how you have the conversation. It'll make the difference about whether it will work or not. Do you see the issue? Um, 
So there's a way to go and have the one-to-one conversation in a highly relational church setting that will hinder your ability to move it forward and not help it. How do you learn those things? Um, our, our expectation ought to be that someone doesn't get into ministry paid, ordained context without having demonstrated the abilities in those areas. Did you, did you know? Um, Now, uh, with that too, as you talk with the, the relational, highly relational content, don't resent that you have to do that because it's quite a powerful value and something to love and cherish. And so part of the conversation is endorsing it and loving it for it and showing how we can maintain this in a different setting and context through other structures. Old ways of processing this. Um, uh, right. In this, you need to go through a shift of the value of leadership. In a small church setting, your loving relationships with people are critical. Um, you, you can be a mediocre or poor preacher, but if you love people, they'll listen to you. But as you grow, that changes. Um, they... I think it's Keller who says that. Um, I think it's Keller who says in a small church they'll listen to you if you love them. In a big church they'll let you love them if you're good to listen to. A little twist. Now, again, there's idealism and there's reality. <laughs> idealism would say it should be something else, but it's just reality. You need to you need to bear in mind. Um, uh, in a small context, 30, 40, 50, delegations don't well work as well. Um, let, let me explain what I mean. Someone's sick in your church of 30, 40, 50, and you go, oh, I hear what they do in a big church. They've delegated all of that, so the minister's not caught up. But if, if you don't go and visit the person who's sick in the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 church, you'll lose your leadership. Because... If you try and act like the church of three, four, five hundred, they'll see through it and resent you for it, and you won't get anywhere. You've got to be different in the different group, uh, the different context, which means you can you can too quickly embrace the structures and values of a larger church. Um, got to be aware of that. I, I think if you want to move the fifty, the church of thirty, forty, fifty along, you've got to think as if you're twice as big, but not three times as big. You're just wanting to take people to the next stage, not the three or four stages down the track, and structure and build for the church of 100 rather than the next one along. Um, all right? Now, uh, um, push back on this one. If you can't create an attractive environment or a teaching ministry that changes people or a discipleship work that changes people, you need to find another job. If you can't, at this stage, create an attractive environment, if we can't give you um, a group of 10 people and you don't know how to grow that to 20, you've got a lot of work to do. You see, um, I'll give you an example. We, I was in a church once where we, um, we didn't have enough leaders, so we ran bigger groups. And I was interested that one of the ordained guys... We gave a group of 15, 20 people to and he couldn't hold them. He couldn't hold them. Now, I, you know, his point was you can't run groups that big. But two or three other people in the same church were running groups that big. In fact, they kept getting bigger and bigger. Now, at some point you've got to say there's a gifting that's lacking or a skill that we could perhaps skill up. But if it's a gifting that's lacking... It might be the case that you need just to be a support core guy. Um, is that too hard? Now let me let me uh, qualify that. If you're running that kind of small church in a country town of a thousand people, that's a different deal. 
if you're running that kind of small church within the Muslim, you know, that's a different... Yeah. But if you're doing that in suburban Sydney, when five minutes up the road and five minutes down the road, it's... need to go back and get a job and support the work. See, in our context, we don't... Uh, I won't try and say this to you. We are very reluctant to spend 70, 80 grand on someone who can't multiply themselves. If all they can do is teach and have good theology, we just can't afford to pay them because they won't give us a return. Now that's just leading strategy to some of the hard realities of who we are. And I fear sometimes we are attracting guys to the ministry that are introverted, bookish people who just love the study. And we need to be... I'm an introvert, so I mean, I'm not saying I love study. <laughs> but I'm, you've, got to, you've got to be aware that if you're not getting out, you're not people, all that stuff. Um, and it has significant implications rate of church growth in Sydney, Anglican Church for example, which is just tracking population growth. Uh, in the majority of churches, I think it's the, the latest yeah. that, you know, like um they may decline in the last couple possibly yeah. uh, gross numbers. Um, yeah, the are the plants growing? Like do you know anything about the effectiveness of the plants? Because I know early NCLS stuff question. They were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is part of the question that are we any good at growing small churches to big up or bigger churches to big up or are we just not good at either of them at present except for some isolated instances. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and what do we do then? You, you know, what have we done wrong? What do we, what do we yeah, yeah. Big, bigger, I know it's a too big question but we're not wrong. It's the question to ask. We, we, um, we've got to love We've got to appreciate the gospel of grace so that we're in a context where we can ask those questions without being demoralised. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you've got the gospel of grace embraced fully, the success mentality doesn't destroy you. So that I, I'm not... My, my whole identity is not shaped by success. It's, it's shaped by I'm in Christ, loved by Him, seeking to be faithful. That's wonderful. But how come we're not growing the work? Others are. Like up the road is... I've got to be able to ask the hard questions in the context. It's called the Stockdale Principle. There's actually a name for this, where you um, uh, you're able to actually ask the hard questions and be ruthlessly honest with where you're at in the context of confidence and optimism. It's called the Stockdale Principle. You just, you just got to got to man up, have the gospel enough embedded in your soul that you can go. I'm not cutting it. I've got to skill up. I've got to now. The other thing to draw into this too is that. It does take time. It does take time. So I was talking to a planter just recently who, he's only been going three months, but he's in despair that he's only 40 people or something. And he kind of, um, you wish it, Daniel got, I mean, you wish it would be bigger than that, but it's only been three months or whatever, you know. And um, so in some, in some context, it'll be two years. Some context, it'll be three years. If it's five years, there's some context where you'd want to say, it's time to move out. Now, I, now, look, there's a whole mix in all of that. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned once in a context, I think it was in Perth, I talked about the 50, the, the principle we use of, it's, well, it's actually not, it's a rule we use of don't launch until you've got 50 in your core group. And there's some various reasons for that. But the um, Bishop of Northwest Australia was there and he said, Andrew, we've got country towns of 300, 500, 1,000. I mean, your church will never be more than 50. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I get that. There's, uh, there's other circumstances. Um, 
Now, the other issue in this with groupology, there's a length of time at the size. If you've come in to lead a church of 50 and it's been 50 for three, four, five years, that'll be a different kind of group than if you've started three months ago and you're at 50. You've got to be aware of that dynamic. Um, one has momentum, has seen growth, is on a trajectory, and so selling that church a larger vision and putting in place larger structures will work. But trying to impose that on a church that's been five, ten years at 50 won't work. Uh, it'll require much more of the one-to-one vision casting and listing the opinion makers and, and so on. And it's very hard to do that, I think, part-time. Um, now, what do you do, therefore? You map out a plan. Here's the deal. Uh, I'm in a church of 50 here. I want to get to 100. Let's just do the be twice as big. Uh, what are the blockages that are stopping me get there? What are the steps I've got to take? Now, here's where I want to talk to you about some analysis processes. This is what we do. So this isn't so much... I guess it's a principle, but it's, here's what we do. Um, we use the... Um, I think it's the MTS. Is, that, is MTS... Is it stepping to the right is MTS? Oh, is that how it's working? Is that the MTS language or is that Vinegrove? Vinegrove. So Vinegrove's language is stepping to the right. And I, I think it's kind of like... Give us, can you give it to me? What are they? Yeah, stepping people to the right. Yeah. Those who are far away. Three contacts. Uh, talking, listening. Four one three. Uh, talk the gospel to them. The ones who are the gospel. Yep. Conversion. Uh, growing. Working through struggles. I'd add into that um, uh, ministry and then mission. And I think that's part of your training. Isn't that right? You've <laughs> 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 you got, you got this process, right? And um, what we do... Now, we operate with five pieces in the process largely, but that's whatever you use. We go... Uh, if we're going to see if we're going to see the church grow, we've got to see people moving to the right, who then join us to come back and reach the far away to move them through, right? Um, so what we regularly do is ask the question about as a church, as an as a community of people, are we seeing many people con- contacted, conversations being had, how many are coming under the gospel, conversions, and stepping through the process, right? Now. What that helps us do is go, yeah, we're, big church, we're still getting every week regular people coming into church. Uh, but are we getting them under the gospel? No. So that tells you there's a blockage. We're, and it tells you where the blockage is. And so what we've got to do is go from, we're not getting many people under the sound of the gospel, to getting them under the sound of the gospel. What steps do I need to take to make that change? just simple analysis but what this forces you to do is then begin to go let's 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 list out five things we need to do all right and think hard about it well what we need to do is why why aren't we getting people coming they're coming to us they're not coming to the gospel because there's no one who can talk to them about it or there's nowhere they can go or there's you start to analyze or you might find no we're seeing people converted making responses they're just not getting into our church. They're not getting into our growth groups. And you've got a different blockage. And you work your way through each step. But the bottom line is, I now know where I am. Where I've got to get to is here. What are the six steps to make the difference? Now, if I'd been more prepared, I would have done... We've just done this again. We do this, we do this every year. But we've just done it... Um, three weeks ago, our senior staff went away and did that whole analysis of church. And, um, and we've come up with, um, as, as we do every year, we come up with, with a um, uh, kind of the next steps that we want to take. And, and I'll, I'll just give you some examples of what we do. If it's, um, 
if I can find it. We have a series of strategic initiatives that we're going to take, um, and um, and then we will work hard at implementing those strategic initiatives to move the whole thing forward. Um, and I'm not going to find it easy. Do you want to ask anything about that? That'll actually take up some time. Go, go for it. You want to, while I'm looking. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to, and I know numbers and everything, but um, if you're trying to move a church from, say, 50 to 100, um, it just seems to me um, that there is going to be a difference. Uh, I don't know what the right terms are, but living in a lower socio-economic area than a middle socio-economic area just seems to me in the lower the jump from 50 to 100 and I know again it's not about numbers but just use that for concrete but it just seems if you're, if you're looking for that wouldn't that tempt you to make a jump or start a church plant or whatever in a or aim or focus or look towards moving to a middle socio-economic area because you know you might get there quicker based on what you see other guys doing? Yeah. If, and, and how do you deal with that? Yeah, good. If your aim is just to grow a church, that might tempt you to do that. But if your aim is to reach this community... So it comes back to calling, or, or a desire, or, a yeah. passion for that. Reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you might, if you've got a, if you've got a commitment to reach Woi Woi and Minor... You might go, where's the, where's the first place I can make a beachhead into that area that gives me, humanly speaking, the best chance to get established from which we can spin out the other work? That, that'd be a wise decision. So you may not start... If you're going up to the north of the central coast into the Wyong region, you might not start in Wyong because it's a very hard area to work in. You might start a couple of suburbs away to reach into Wyong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to be wise. Yeah. Um, here it is. Uh, our strategic priorities. This is what we've we've worked out for us that one of the big problems is the pipeline from our youth ministry into night EV, Saturday EV. We've worked out that we've got to work harder at our lifting of leadership in the maturity area, raising new leaders. And we've decided over the next 18 months to flatten some of our differences between our, our focus services for the sake of efficiencies. We've got a big problem with... Um, we're trying to raise another $6 million bucks, so we've got no money for new staff. We've got to work harder with efficiencies. But, but my point here is, you see how we've analysed the half a dozen steps that we need to take? Now, what I'll do is I'll send away the guys and go, you get into your team and work out how you're going to do that now. What's your action plan? And then, over what time are you going to enact it? And you're going to be held account in the next 12 months. Um, because we care about you making a difference. How many initiatives might you end up with in that? Because I can imagine you could look at that and you could say, this and we could work on you know, all of that. Like you'd say, so we do okay and say, we've got lots of contacts, we get them under the sound of the gospel, we could do a bit better than that. Not a lot seem to get converted, so there may be some issue there with the kind of, uh, the kind of the pitch that we're putting on people, etc., the challenge, maybe yep. a little bit harder than we are, uh, whatever it might be. But you could almost end up with, uh, I can imagine, 10 initiatives. Now, maybe in a church of your size, 10 initiatives with a lot of staff may not be unrealistic. We, we would never do 10 okay, initiatives, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my question. How, how do yeah. you work out, okay, there's three yeah. here, three critics, are three critical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you, you, if it's more than if it's more than four or five, you won't ever do them. So it's you've got to go. It's interesting, yeah. In our context, we would never try and do ten. It's just it's um, we don't have the resources to do it. And so uh, I was initially you kind of you go the problems right across the board. <laughs> What's the first key thing that will help us get the best traction to start getting the resource to work on the others? That's where I'll invest. And for mine early on, it was so clearly that, that because everything was a problem, uh, I realised what I needed was resource, financial and people, 
And so working in this area was, for mine, the critical thing. The, the grow, maturing, ministry training, a lot of discipleship, a lot of that kind of um, setting up groups with good leadership. We, we worked hard there. Whilst we kept the profile of this work happening, aware that we weren't getting to it like we could. Because I wanted to keep the culture as a vision for the church, as a mission for the church. But, but I knew that we were seeing people come in, hear the gospel, but not being followed up. For about five years, we lived the agony of failing in the follow-up. But we knew we didn't have the resource to really invest in it and fix it until we'd got more work done here. Manage that process. Yeah. Must uh, track your data quite well in the big shop. Because there are 50 people, you can sit down, you can put your names under each of those yeah. things. But in 550 or 1,050, you must have to. So you must have some tools, like just to say, okay, how many contacts we had this year? Yeah, yeah, how many yeah. people converted? You must have some ways of trying to track. Yeah, some yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've done it always with Excel up to this point. We now use the, the hub. We. Uh, um, What's it called? It's um, we call it the hub. Uh, it's church community building. Yeah. But we work that. Um, we've seen others use it just as a data, as a um, as a, a church directory. Mm-hmm. We we work all the process queues, yeah, yeah. all that stuff's quite. Yeah. So quite a bit of resource must have gone into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Function, maybe to do that. Two years ago, two years ago, we worked out that where we were busting was the lack of good data to make good decisions yeah. so it was a lot of gut and so we actually we one of our key strategic initiatives was to transition half a staff member into the hub to get that up um, yeah. and we bore a lot of pain through that period to do it but yeah, yeah. this type of first question uh, I imagine that you have to break down the subsets in which you do that analysis is that right? So do you do that analysis on, on the youth ministry and on the Saturday night church and on the, and so forth? We, we, um, I mean, I could talk about this all day, and I don't think you want to hear it, but we, we run a, um, we run, we love both ends. Not both ends, but both ends. You know what I mean? We, we, we love the two things. So we're committed to um, the deep and wide. When we started church, we just had one service. And, uh, and and I ran that and we were trying to see people using these kind of things we were trying to see people uh, get, get evangelised uh, connected grow um, trained and then event, be mission with us so we're trying to get those things happening right? Um, and in one service I worked at getting someone be in charge of that for us to make this church fire in that area because I couldn't get to it. I worked at getting someone, so it was me and the first staff member worked in this area. And, and very so we, we worked the core with the intention to um, build these into full time roles, each of these. Right. Um, but as we added a service, we added 6.30 next, um, we were able just to get the guy here spinning that into there. Um, when we put on the third, we actually split 9.30 into 8.30 and 10.30. When we got to three, we found we could, this guy couldn't do that. It was too hard. So we started running what we call focus leaders. Um, but the chief dynamic for us is this work. All he does is tailor that to penetrate best into this world. When we have reports, therefore, our reports are primarily the, the what we call the M work. He reports on the M work across EV. And you'll note how it's going at this, this, youth, children, and so on. We also get the focus leaders, but the primary work is this. Um, now, uh, this, this is what I can talk about, but one of my convictions is we're not growing past certain sizes in church because we've never taken advantage of scale. We're forever running small churches with a guy who's multitasking, a generalist, who never gets enough resource to do anything more than run one evangelistic event to get it. 
get training happen but then forget it get to his group leader and once a year and he just hasn't got the resource and because we keep spinning out lots of churches we can't build scale to do anything any really well so we are constantly wanting to kind of flatten the work down through here so that we get both in, but we want to make this the front. Uh, well, the delivery. So, for instance, um, in the grow area, part of what the grow area does is deliver growth group materials to leaders. Now, this group of people is different to Night EV in that there are different skills. You know, they've got different academic abilities. So, this Bible study material needs to be tailored to make it worse work best. Tailoring is inefficient. So what we're doing is flattening and just saying, no, let's work out one size fits all. Because we haven't got the staff. Yeah. What are the, um, in what way did the focus leader enable the M driver or the M guy to do his work? So you said that he got to two, he really was struggling to kind of because of sheer numbers, so it's five, six hundred people and those two things there. It's just a sheer numbers thing or what, what enables him to, uh, to then continue to be M right down the line now over, I take a five, six or seven categories? It's what I found was, and see, my, this might be another principle, I, it's certainly a principle I'm broken. I think humanly there's a reality that I can only get ten to three things, two to three things. Once I go to the fourth, I just drop the ball. The third, I struggle. If you give me three services to run, I'll, do, I'll make a good fist of two, but the third one I'll always... It'll get the dregs of my time. I won't get to it. I'll just come to it unprepared. I'll, if you give me... Um, if you make me... I'm responsible to make sure evangelism's firing, connecting people into our group is firing, growth groups are firing, training... If you try and get me to response for all of that... I'll always default to two of them, sometimes three. I'll drop the other one. To do with my own desire, giftedness, enthusiasm, passion. Capacity, yeah. yeah. It's, I just, this is the idealism reality thing. There's an ideal that we should be. Give an example. We had, um, is this helpful in my in the big church stuff too much? Um, one person saw another. Yeah. We had, um, so we, some years ago now, we had people in these areas, not all paid, some volunteers, some part-time, and, um, and we didn't have anyone in the training recruiting area. And I kept saying, we don't need to, because you ought to be recruiting for your area. Just get onto it. So I think I just recruit. I get people alongside me. I raise them up. And every staff conference, I'd say... We'd go around, we haven't got enough news. Why aren't you recruiting? Oh, I just, I'm just not getting to it. Well, get to it. <laughs> and I'd bang away on this. After three years, I worked out, I can spend the rest of my life banging away on what they should do or face the reality of what they can do. And so that was, I think I mentioned to the rep, the, the staffing issue. What I worked out was, until we got a person here, we wouldn't get what we call a volunteer revolution happening there's a pipeline of people coming through to be interested in ministries with us. Until we got someone focused on it, because the change required to get people raised up into ministry in serious numbers is just such a big job that me part-time would never get to. And so we had to move one of our guys out of other areas into this work and yeah, we're now But that's that for mine's a big principle. So, um, so you know, Daniel was the focus leader over night. But you want to give us any quick reflections? You've heard some of that. Good. <laughs> um, uh, Why was it important and helpful to have that? Because because as you flatten the work, which you need to do, and you need to flatten um, to reach large groups of people, there's there still are individuals that fit into categories like Night EV. And so the focus leader was able to use the tools of the those guys and put little bits and pieces around it to build penetration into the <coughs> into the people who are in that 
with small group work. Can I do that? Um, here's, here's my picture for what it's worth. Here's, here's you, uh, the, the pastor. Um, as, as you've got a community of people around you, it's like a circle of people, um, and, and you might break them up into um, small groups. So you've got, I don't know, let's say six or seven people in each core. That's a core, isn't it? No one knows. Okay. Um, you as the pastor, uh, you've got, you're looking after these people. There gets a point where as this circle expands, every time it expands, obviously the number of people gets bigger. Um, <coughs> ministering two levels, to, to, to minister to this person here, ministering through that person to get to them, is leading a leader. Okay? Me just leading them to discipleship and growth is one skill. Me getting one of them to become a leader of someone else or a group is another skill. Um, And if I don't invest, if I'm only able to invest a small amount of energy into that, his ability to do it will be diminished. Which means my ability, oh, what will happen is I'll hit, I'll hit a relationship capacity level. And he's only getting those three and only one of them is able to get that. And that's it. Church stops growing. Because as soon as you get people coming, they'll come in, they won't get connected because they're not in this group here, they're out here and no one's... And so they'll roll off, they'll roll off. Churches hit about 150 with your one pastor, that's it. A high capacity, 200, there's your barrier. Yeah. Um, now, to build a church that gets past, um, and, and typically, I might actually add to this, most of our churches of 100 with a pastor are too busy with preaching and everything else to really give him much time at all. Talking to a man the other night who um, is a, a leader in a, a growth group leader in a church. I said, "How often does your pastor connect with him?" He said, oh, "Once a year. Once a year." You say to the pastor, "Get your act together. You ought to be in an ideal world meeting with all your leaders regularly because that's the key to growth." And he says, "I'd love to, but I need to also. Uh, I just never get to it, and I'm not ever going to be able to get to it. Let's face facts. What we've done." is we've said uh, if we get past the, the one pastor guy and have teams of pastors so that this, this guy's dedicated just to that task then he can invest much more energy but more than that he can raise up uh, this level of leadership to be very very high we call them CLs which means he can carry he's a volunteer he can carry Ten leaders who are now carrying the next level out leadership, and you've now got a system and a structure whereby you can uh, your pastoral work can multiply the number of high-level leadership who are mentoring your growth group leaders. I could never have done that because I'm preaching every week, I'm running the administrative, so I'm trying to raise the money. You know, I could, until we actually got a guy who invested time. In That's just oh, that's the idealism reality, uh, I, I think. Now, I th- that the other they use the language of uh, uh, shepherd rancher. Some of you guys may have heard of that. Um, it, for me to go from one fifty, the typical barrier isn't just in the people; it's in you, the pastor. For you to get past the one fifty barrier, you will have to go through a transition from the shepherd to the rancher. And that's really hard emotionally. Every every three years, I went through 
of recalibrating who I was. And it was really painful. Um, but you remember the earlier value, which is you've got to be prepared to do whatever it takes to grow the gospel. Because it matters more than your personal life and your place, whether you're the preacher or not, whether you're the... All of that's secondary. So learning to be the person you need to be to move to ranching instead of shepherding. Okay. Do you want, does it make sense? Do you want to ask anything out? You might have already kind of been addressing this along the way. I'm feeling the, the tension between this model as the, you know, the 100 to 200 kind of, that's where you're thinking. Um, but we also talked about identifying what it's like to be in a small church. And there's a, there's a tension there because you you may not be growing because you're not acknowledging that you're in a small church and you're acting as though you're not. Like you said that. Um, I'm trying to work out the communication and how that how you navigate that moving from small church to large church. You said uh, in the conversations you have in the lounge room and things like that. What do you have? What is that? What are those conversations? Yeah, 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 yeah. So here's your um, if I might say, here's your um. Here's, here's your, uh, okay, I want to get from 50 to 150. What are the conversations I've had? I know I've got to have them, but what are they and how do I go through it to make it so it works? And have them in order, because I don't want to have the ranch or shepherd conversation with Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the, there's a number, I mean, there's a number of things. But this is, uh, th- these are, um, we're now very detailed skill discussions, which is not inappropriate, but, but just be aware of that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's helpful is to say to people, where do you want this church to go? To actually honour them and their participation in the work and say, you know, what do you see for this church? Where do you want it to go? What could it be? What are we about here? Until you're actually agreed on, we want to reach the lost and see thousands converted. If all you're at is, we just want to be faithful, godly people, I think you're dead in the world. Until you get to the point of, we want to reach thousands of people, I get it. We're about reaching the lost, changing the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you get there, that's, I think that's the first brief to get across. The, the discussion then is, well, how do you think we're going to do that? Let's, yeah. well, we could do, uh, well, have you thought through that? You're trying to win people to an idea, to a vision, to a dream. And it's your skills in the conversation to help people move to that. A lot of tact and diplomacy. A lot of tact and diplomacy. Um, there are some personalities who can bluster and smash and survive. I'm not one of those, and most of us aren't. So you need to learn the skills of diplomacy and tact to, to get into people's heads, to see what their fears and concerns are, to analyse them with them, have communication skills enough that you can take them on a journey with you. And then can you see... Can you see that if we're going to get to the thousands, we need to do the, yeah, I can see that. How are we going to get this group there? Well, I guess everyone needs, do you think they're all on board? No, I don't think they are. What are we going to do? You're enlisting people to join you in the 50. Pursue that path together. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you see, just be aware, that's the nature of the comments that we're now at this, this level. It's a good level to discuss, but that's the, the kind of stuff that needs to my, my, I, I want to believe, and, and I hope this is not idealism, but I want to believe MTS is doing that. And if you guys aren't thinking, bringing MTSs with, raising up young guys to join you to teach them all of those things, we won't reach the thousands across Australia, um, which is our ultimate concern for the country. I mean, the world's beyond that. So really, you've got to be taking young guys with you to show them the tact and diplomacy and how you have those conversations as well as discussing the steps where, and where we're going and how we're doing it. Yeah. Which is then uh, to get the second staff member I, I, um, as I said our um, we had an MTS worker with us from the beginning 
So we did everything we could to make sure we had someone with us in experiencing the whole growth thing. Um, the second staff member was um, Craig. And I chose Craig um, because Craig, Craig would do anything for the gospel. Just his... Uh, and what he would bring to us is this... He would align... Remember the alignment issue I talked about? He, in him joining me, I knew that he would be a powerful facilitator of aligning our passion for the cause. Now, Craig is an edgy guy in that he, he's got sharp edges to him. And, um, uh, but I was prepared to wear that because I knew what he would bring it was so powerful. So, so he came on to do... Um, uh, I used to run all the growth groups, got Craig on to then run the groups I used to run and begin to develop leadership because it takes proactive pastoring to develop leadership. So he took total responsibility for that area. Uh, he and I shared mission together because my evangelistic card, I, I wanted us to work together on that. I had the life and life of all those things I wanted to actually pursue. Um, and I got him onto ministry training. So he wore two and a half hats. Uh, but because he wasn't preaching all the time, I was carrying most of the preaching. He had much more capacity to invest in that area. Whereas if we'd gone second staff member, let's put another service and put it there, what I would have done was create no ability to establish scale and um, the, the power of momentum and size. I just would have created another small church with another general struggling like I was to get to all these things. I never ran any services. I, I think I, in the first, gee, I, I, you know, I probably run 15 services in all the time we run church. You know. So in the first two years, I never ran services. I, now this is me. It's not necessarily what you would do. But I never set up. I never did. I, I made sure I enlisted out of the core group guys who did a lot of that administrative structural stuff. So choosing music and running a band and all those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I met with that guy every second week. Um, because that platform work that he was doing was volunteer. Volunteer. Um, so I would I'd meet at lunchtime at his work uh, every second week, and we'd thrash through. We'd fight about. We'd argue over. We uh, because I wanted to. I didn't want to. I didn't have the time to do that work, but I wanted to make sure it was shaped in the direction you wanted it to go. So they're saying the quality of it might have been quite what you would have had if you had about a. Theologic train kind of guy, but because the preaching ministry was exactly. sort of where the kind of the action was, the platform you exactly. live with, yeah, yeah, yeah. the music selection not being quite so flashy, that's exactly slightly right. amateurish. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, yeah, I, I could, I could pick up the drop passes and I could run them. But, um, but I would, but again, that's that's me analysing who I am and how I work. So you got it might be different. You see, um, I was going to say something else there. The um, I also had a volunteer in this area. I, I set up the administrative processes for letters going out, cards coming, all of that stuff. I set it up, but handed it off fairly quickly to volunteers to do it. Because, again, it's not a theologically... You don't have to be theologically driven to manage caring for people. You can escalate pastoral problems to the theological guys. But, but I just let go of the control a little bit in that area to get some growth out. And that meant those processes got better. Lunches were run, community events were run, all kinds of stuff that I just had no time to get to. And I could focus with Craig into the engine room stuff that would build the pipeline of momentum that would then flood these areas with new workers. There was something else I was going to say the other reason I didn't lead services was because I wanted I wanted to create a culturally relevant church. So I wanted Central Coast people running it. Because I was a Sydney guy. So that was another factor in some of this. So we worked hard to be 
a central coast church, not a city church in the north. Um, and they were very critical. Okay. Um, I tell you, the other thing with thinking groupology. Now, please can you hear I'm saying we drove biblically. We had a massive engine of Bible discipleship, um, theological culture. Um, I ran hot topics four times a year, where I'd I'd get people out to talk deeper theology. We ran PTC courses, you know, we, we did, but because I wasn't doing all this stuff and I had growing resource, we could invest, Craig could invest more energy to that stuff to make it lift, 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 you see, because he wasn't caught up running the admin on it. So we were able to build a really theologically driven culture, um, what I want to call a kind of ferocious word church. It's amazing to see the culture now with young guys coming through. I think it's scary, scary, scary. But um, uh, it was a point I was going to make about second service. Yeah. Once you get to about 100, uh, uh, if you're in a 50 or in a 100, and it's been like that for a little while, it's like custard standing still. It gets a skin. And people bounce off it. Um, it's the collie thing, right? One, of the, one, of, one way to, to break the skin is to start another service. So there's little, there's little kind of groupology tactics that you can use. You could just kind of disciple into the guys and say, let's speak to new people all the time. Do that. But there's some things you can do that just smash it straight away. You do it in three months, it's all over. And, uh, and starting another service does that. If you start too soon, you won't have momentum. Uh, judging that, I tell you, the church planting—we um, we committed to planting a church every five years. But as we're coming up to the four the four years of church, I knew that if so, we were just one service, and we were filling up. I knew that if we took off 50, 60, we sent sixty people twenty minutes north of us to plant a church. If we took off those 40 adults, 20 kids, everyone would go, I knew this is what happened, everyone would go, oh, phew, we've got room again. We don't need to do anything. So what I determined to do was, while we were full, create two services, and 12 months later, plant the church out of both. And the only reason I did that was to ensure that momentum and vision continued. And it was, it was just a simple decision one that was critical to us getting to the next waypoint. Um, would you call oh, it's just a business awareness company? So why would you relax if they got smaller? No one wants to grow because it's uncomfortable. And it shouldn't be the case. It's ideally you'd believe otherwise, but the reality is if you give anyone an opportunity, they'll get one. There's a few weirdos. But um, and so you've got to keep managing for change and growth. We, um, we've got a plan to build a 1100 seat auditorium on the front of our block. Um, and my great passion was to build that building first and then build the back building which we're in at present, which is only a 400 seat building. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I knew that as soon as we built the 400 seat auditorium and we moved in, what would happen? We were right. And the ability to raise funds enough to get the next building going would be, and it's exactly what's happening. Now, we, circumstances conspired that we just couldn't, we couldn't do the front one. We got kicked out of school, we had to do it quick. But um, it's exactly what's happening. People are in the back building going, why don't we need to go up to the building still? There's still 50 seats spare. And I have to say, we won't ever fill those 50 seats because buildings get to a certain size and never grow further. Oh, wait, wait. What makes you think that? You know? Now that's part of it. the principle I mentioned was um, the physicality of people. We do get impacted by spaces. Um, and I think Sydney has a real problem with space. 
most most people in Sydney are in buildings that were designed, I don't know, two thousand two hundred years ago. There's only thousand people, except for your building. So they're big problems. But if you've got an output-driven ministry, you'll look at the facility and say, um, how are we going to reach, within 20 minutes drive of us, there's 100,000 people. How are we going to reach 100,000 people? Well, we're not going to do it with a building that says 200 people. What are we going to do? 